0: You're listening to The Networks Podcast, where we talk all things marketing and digital. I'm your host, Lisa Marr, and I'm part of the team who run the face-to-face Networks events across Brisbane, Australia. We're now bringing this great content to you, the listener. Each episode is a live recording of a past panel discussion, and so if you like what you hear... The magic of these events is still being in the room and making connections in person. To check out when the next live event is on, visit networksevents.com.au or find the link in the show notes. In this episode, we have a juicy conversation where we meet the chief marketing officers. Make sure you stay listening to the end when we cover off the panel's final top tips. Happy listening. A warm welcome to you all, to Networks. We love holding these events because they're informative yet relaxed, not to mention held in funky or unique venues around Brisbane. And I'd now like to introduce you to your panel facilitator this evening, Elizabeth Gibbons. She is the Head of Client Services at Zero7 and is passionate about helping clients maximise their online presence. Would you please put your hands together and welcome Elizabeth.
1: Come on everybody,
0: it's a bit quiet today.
1: So our first panelist in our call up is from tourism to racing to food, we're thrilled to bring you the CMO of U Foods, Adam Coward, come on. Let's live it up here. Next we have a lady leading one of Brisbane's hottest agencies. Let's welcome to the stage, Yasmin Gray from Red Havas. And lastly, proving that big things come in brilliant packages, Kirsty Jackson joins us from Cohort Go, leading the next wave of CMO talent. Come on down. I always feel like it's the prices, right? That's okay. Let's get this party started. So tonight, what we will cover. What skills do marketers aspiring to the C-suite need to be investing in now? How do we balance the needs for data-driven results and long-term strategies such as brand awareness? What are you looking for in young marketers and how we capitalize those skills to complement leadership? And how do you transition from campaign management to people and brand management? So hopefully we can get through all our questions and answer those this evening. So let's get the party going with our panelists who are going to tell us who they are, their organizations and how they got to where they are today, and one fact that we don't know about them. We'll start with Adam.
2: Okay. Well, the uh, first slide here is just to sort of say a little bit about CMOs in the current day. <laughs> <laughs> the average tenure is about two and a half years. I've got about one year left, so I'll see you guys <laughs> later. But um, look, for me, I work at youfoods Foods as CMO. It's a, a very wide-scoping role, but the things I like to do is to grow myself, the people around me, and the business by getting... Good at playing in the grey. So across all my years, that's what I've done. Either improving the current or driving new. My happy place is right in the middle of the grey where no one likes playing and you have to be up late at night doing a lot of work for a lot of different people to make things happen. When I looked at this and this question about what got me to here, it was like a weird kind of graph and I do love my analytics. And my first role there, first, five, first one to five years was an analytics role. You can see that the big blue down the bottom, it's, it's really about how much do you know about the business? And I learned very quickly that... That doesn't matter what role you're in. If you know your analytics, you can be a coordinator or be the best CMO or a CEO. If you don't know your data and your insights, you've got no hope in a boardroom. And you actually get invited into places that most people don't normally get to go to as marketers. So analytics and data has got me to that point. The big blue part in the middle there is where I actually spent a lot of my own money. And the one thing that you don't know about me is I ran a kids' music festival for nearly two years called Rhymes Festival, which um, went pretty well. We went Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Townsville, Brisbane. Um, we, won, we made $40,000 profit in one day in Brisbane and we lost the rest of it across the rest of Australia. <laughs> I call it my, my life MBA. So, um, you know, what's interesting about that, Bud, is it gives you this instance where you learn about fear and family. And I've got I had kids at that point and we had mortgages to pay. And I've learnt the art of how, much it, how does it feel to spend your own money? So when you come back into businesses like Northern Territory Tourism or racing or any other place where you're spending, especially government or taxpayers' money, if you're working in government... You learn that you have to show that you care about that cash probably more than you care about your own soul, especially for taxpayers um, in the Northern Territory. Otherwise, NT News comes and gets you. But basically, you know, when you start to learn those sort of things and you move into those later roles where you're really responsible for a lot of cash, a lot of countries, $30 to $50 million worth of spend, there's a lot more things that come with it. So governance, finance, culture, you know, how to get incremental sales, learning how to learn. And that's probably where, you know... These things are really important to understand across uh, those, those years as you're sort of trying to move up the career or do different things within your own businesses. So I really do believe in learning to learn is one of the key things that got to me where I am today. You know, no fear to cross industries. If you know how to learn how to learn, what's the why? How do you understand it, connect to it? What's the what? What are the things that people actually care about? How do you kind of visualise that for people you're trying to sell something to or talk about to or communicate to? And what's that how? How do you actually put it into practice and make it usable and doable? And the more important thing for me to get to where I've gotten to is the what if. Like, what if I did this based off learnings I've had in the past and adapting? And that's where I think, you know, you can cross industries really easily and do different things in a place like Brisbane, where it is pretty small, and how do you cross industry in a place like this? And ultimately, the main thing is knowing when to put your hand up and reach out for help. Even today, you know, you put your hand up and say, I need direction on this from your boss or from the board, let alone your team saying, hey, I want to be left alone. Leave me alone. Let me do this and let me learn. Or, hey, I need some help and knowing to ask those questions. So these are just some quick models. I just wanted to show up um, and you have these slides if you want to. But ultimately, these are things that are really important to me that I use every day and I've used them really since the first year of starting out in marketing.
3: Cool pass it down. Thank you. So, well, I think mine's going to be quite a different presentation. (laughs) Um, But I think uh, one of the things that I will pick up on, um, actually, is the sense of bravery and being able to push those boundaries. Um, You know, I've been in the industry for a very long time, but my pathway was quite varied. And I think a lot of that has been because of taking brave decisions, grabbing those opportunities when I could. Um, So I started off as a journalist uh, in London and uh, had no intention of coming to Australia at all, actually, to be quite honest with you. Um, But I took one of those brave decisions one day and I thought, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna get on a plane and I'm just gonna go and see what happens when I get to Melbourne. Um, From that, a whole range of doors opened for me and I think that's one of the things is that Sometimes you don't know what's around the corner, but sometimes just be brave enough to actually take that risk and go, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. One of the things I see so often with young people today, they almost want to know all the answers before the completion. And if I had always waited for the answers, I never would have got to where I am right now. Um, that went all the way through to uh, when I had my son. So we talked about children, and children are very important, but they can interrupt your lives as much as you love them. And um, I did take a couple of years out, and it's a, it's a big challenge for working women. You know, what do you do? And I was a single woman uh, with a child at that point, so I had no family here at all to help me. Um, how was I going to manage that? Um, someone actually offered me a part-time job in a PR agency... Um, And I said, well, I don't know anything about PR. And they said, no, you'd be great at it, yes? And I thought, oh, okay. Well, it might fit in with my lifestyle, so I'll give it a go. As it turned out, um, it turned out to be the best decision I ever made. Uh, From that, I actually found that not only was I actually good at it, but um, I, I could see opportunities. And going back to what you were saying before about Brisbane, Uh, When I arrived in Brisbane, bearing in mind I'd come from London, a lot of people, particularly the people I knew in Melbourne, said, why did you come to Brisbane? Um, And I said, well, because actually, I think it's a great city. It's got so much going for it. It's got so many opportunities. um, And I could feel it was growing. It's hungry to learn. um, And I think, you know, this is one of the fantastic things I've seen over the last sort of 15, 20 years that I've been here. We have gone from a smaller city to one that's actually really, leading in so many ways in the kind of work that we're doing, and we're leading the way, and we're definitely finding that at Red Havas. We're using our agency here in Brisbane as a testing ground for a lot of stuff that we do, uh, not only nationally, but globally. Um, So many of you may have noticed that we've actually rebranded from Red Agency to Red Havas, and that all came from work that we have actually been very proud of, that we have pioneered, many of it um, in, in the Brisbane office, which has actually led to a significant change in the way Havas works. Um, and now we are actually leading the way in uh, globally in many different ways. So there's so many things you can do from Brisbane. Uh, very proud to be here. I've had a long and exciting journey, and hopefully I can uh, share some of that with you tonight.
4: Hi, everybody. My name is Kirsty Jackson, and I am the CEO of a tech startup called Cohort Go. Um, We uh, actually were founded in River City Labs, just in um, Fortitude Valley, um, in 2012. And since then, um, we now have a staff of 40 people, 25 of which from our Brisbane office. Um, I lead our marketing, our customer success, and our web functions, um, with a grand total of five, including myself. So I am what we call a very lean and very efficient startup team. Um, my uh, history, I guess I would say, is a little bit shorter um, than the others, so I bring um, uh, that different aspect to the panel tonight, I hope for you. Um, I would say I'm on the, at the beginning of my CMO journey. I've been in the role for um, a couple of years now, so I might only have about six months to go. Um, <laughs> I'm available <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, something that you um, may not know and most probably do not know about me is that my husband and I run um, a small um, cattle of uh, small head of 50 cattle out of um, our property in Maidenwell which is a small little town just um, 20 minutes inland of the Bunya Mountains which you should all go to.
1: <laughs> Excellent So let's get things started with our first question. What, in your opinion, is the primary objective of the CMO nowadays?
2: I can quickly start on this one. For me, um, even today I was um, sort of in a room with a, a number of our sort of key people around the room. It's like, how do you bring the customer to the table, especially like the call, the board table, but also bring the business knowledge and also bring your team. So it's that intersection of all three and making that a great place to be every day of the week. Um, and probably first and foremost just for me it's putting that customer first and making sure you actually care about what they get at the end of the the process or the product or the service Um, and then making sure that's actually got the business smarts the business costs and all the things that go with it um, to make that business successful and keep on doing that that's where it is for me at the moment
3: I think for me, uh, um, from the agency side, um, what I think is really interesting from the CMO role is that I actually see that you're the person that is um, bringing all of the dots together. Um, So you're making sure that you get the right people in the right room at the right time with the right skills um, that actually will, together... Can, you know, bringing that team in a coherent uh, fashion so that you can actually deliver the business objectives. Um, because quite often, you're the one in the firing line, right?
2: Yeah, and that's, that's where it's probably... The buck is certainly stopping with the CMO these days. Whereas I think in the past, you know, you probably got away with it through working through agencies and working sort of to externals and that wasn't necessarily your fault or you couldn't quite attribute where the problem came from. Whereas these days you need to know exactly what that dollar gave you back in return for that minute. And if you can't do that, well, you're not a very good CMO, so get out. (laughs) Not real, but that's where it's getting to, right?
4: Yeah, that mirrors what I think about, um, I guess, my purpose today as CMO and is revenue growth. That is what I'm here for. Two years ago, it was brand growth. And I think our purpose has to move with the stage of the journey, or stage of the customer, where they or the brand, and where they're at with that journey.
1: I know when I was like younger, you know, the stone ages, I used to think like, I, that being a CMO was like crazy glamorous, and he just like swanned around all day and said, "I'll hire that agency and that agency and that agency's out," like total Anna Winter style. So I'm wondering, what is it actually like day to day? Can one of you describe the actual nitty gritty?
4: Yeah, I think my day to day might be a little bit different. Um, so
1: there's no swanning about. Oh, that's what I
4: want. That's, that's what I want, I want to. to be. That's where I aspire to be. Just swanning <laughs> around, pointing at people. Um, but being a startup, we're so hands-on. Um, so where most of my day is spent collaborating with others, there's so much that's leading my team, also collaborating. Um, being such a lean team, we spend so much of time of our time in cross-functional teams. Then and. I feel like most of my day is prepping for the next presentation. I spend so much of my work day communicating with the rest of the organisation and we follow the rule of seven at Cohort, that is that you need to say the same message seven whole times before someone really hears you. So, you know, if the sales team still aren't picking up what we're putting putting down and we've put it down six different ways, there's no point getting frustrated. We just say it one more time.
3: Can I jump in here from the agency side? Um, What it seems from the agency side is that CMOs spend a lot of time in meetings, which means they're very unavailable when you need to speak to them most, which is kind of really frustrating, I have to tell you. Um, And the other (laughs) thing that they do is they spend a lot of time avoiding spending money when what you really need them to do is spend some money. So. (laughs) In a startup,
4: that's me. I'm avoiding spending money wherever I can.
2: Yeah, it's, it is pretty crazy. I mean, less, more for less, right? Is the is the common theme, doesn't matter. If you're the customer, or you're the business wanting something from the customer, and I think that's the biggest challenge at the moment. There's just no glamour in that whatsoever. More for less. There's zero glamour in it. And
1: are you saying data isn't sexy?
2: No, I'm happy with data, <laughs> but I want it more for less. Ah, so, okay. Um, so my point there is is that the challenges which kind of um, make you get out of bed and are exciting are becoming more and more minute and there's more and more of them. And there's no there's no big, well, certainly not in new foods, there's not a lot of 20 percenters or 30 percenters left to go and get. It's made up of heaps of good to great style one percenters that you gotta do every single day well. Otherwise, it just doesn't work and you can't get that platform to work in the growth to come. So as a CMO, you know, you look at your time that you've got and you think, okay, um, because you might have some different knowledge to the team and you you don't have the time to impart that or let that kind of dwell and give the empowerment, how do you try and, like, let the mistakes happen or let things happen with the team but still push ahead at speed? And speed is really the... You know, speed and time, for me, are the big things. And and that's why you do find that, you know, it's 12 o'clock at night if you really care. It's 1.30 getting something done so you can deliver it for tomorrow because it actually matters. Um, And you actually care about it. So as soon as you stop caring about it, that's when you find it really hard to to enjoy the non-glamorous parts, but I do find that it's, the challenge is so rewarding, so it's good.
1: So thinking about this 1% task, that you're accumulating over time and trying to grab at, how do you prioritize them or how do you identify which 1% is more important than the other
2: 1%? Yeah, that's, that is like the million dollar question, I suppose. Um, I think one thing that we're doing well at YouFoods and, and it's probably a lesson for me of late is to actually force myself to do less so we've really edited, edited back. We would have had 600 different assets running at any one point in time, trying to reach a customer and tell them something. And we just couldn't manage that. And it got out of control to a degree. So when we've edited it back to like 20 key assets and three key channels, and really understand the quality of that channel and the outcomes from those channels, it's allowed our whole team to actually make a conscious decision about what we're gonna do next and which one, one percent, one, sorry, which one percent we wanna choose to do. Whereas in the past we've been controlled by those one percenters. And we just had to react every single day. Um, so I think from my point of view, if you can edit back and get to the things that really matter, and, and you, you might lose a bit of cash or lose a bit of money, but as long as you can afford to do that, and then you can make a better choice to go two steps forward to get into the future.
3: Anyone else want to add to that? Yeah, I think, I think it's really interesting actually um, to hear that because... From the agency side, quite often, um, you know, we've been asked, for example, to put together a strategy or something uh, that uh, clearly is actually going to help the business. Um, And then we're waiting for a response and waiting for a response. And meanwhile, time is ticking by. And we're actually wondering, you know, how the decisions are being made in what you're deciding on. Um, And it can actually be really frustrating when you actually do have something that you feel that actually could make a, a genuine impact on the business. Um, And look, I think it's difficult for all of us. We have our own juggles uh, within agency in that we have multiple clients. Uh, Each one for us has to be equally important. We, We can't have a priority of one client just because they spend X number of dollars over another client. They all have to be equal for us. Um, But nonetheless, we still have to get all the jobs done. Um, But I do think uh, that you have to have a system of prioritization. I mean, there there is no other way. You have to sometimes, I think, take time to make time. I think that's something that's really important and something that I've learned. Uh, Sometimes you get so busy chasing your own tail um, that you get nowhere. And just actually taking that time to look at the world around you and think for a moment you can make better decisions and uh, hopefully have more impact.
4: Kirsty, how are you prioritising? Uh, any tech that we can get our hands on, first of all. Um, and what's interesting for us, and it's interesting to hear um, the perspectives from the two of you, I'd say it's quite different for us, um, which is nice to um, realise that... We do very well at prioritisation. Because we are so tight, we have to. And because we're so tech-led and our CTO is a genius, we, we rarely have barriers. If we need data, we can get it tomorrow or today, if we and I think the girls on my team can experience this, if we think maybe we can get a campaign out tomorrow, let's do it then so it's a, a really nice position to be in and being tech led um, we've got our sort of two, two funnels of our product say for example and or two verticals of our product we've got our product owners, they're completely accessible, they move just as fast as we do and um, we spend so much of our um, time just enough I guess um, prioritising um, with business cases, you can put your argument forward, we have the data, so you have to be able to prove it. Um, And uh, testing, experimenting, growth hacking, it's what we're all about.
2: Yeah, the speed for me, data to information, to insight, to action, especially the action point, and then back into data in the same cycle is, is the part which lets you kind of be even better, like you said, and I think, certainly for you foods, how we get that data into a space that we can action it is really the key goal for us at the moment. Um, and before we get to a point where we grow where we've got a legacy or we've got tech debt or some kind of debt that we have to kind of deal with, so as we don't have legacy at the moment, it lets us build it properly from the start. To your point, if you race through that um, and you don't do it properly, you get yourself in trouble.
1: So we're going to um, move a little bit differently now into a bit more of a case study, I suppose. So Adam, can you elaborate how you incorporate purpose into your day at You Foods? How does that manifest itself? Oh. Oh, there we go.
2: Uh, Oh, don't worry about the clicker. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Can you go back one, if that's all right? There we go. Um, As you can tell, I don't mind a model or two, um, or a slide (laughs) or two.
1: Very dense slides. Lots of key information here.
2: Look, in looking at this, um, you know, the case study I want to talk to you about at the moment, which I think is a current case study across all business, is how do you move from the purpose of just making money to actually creating something that customers care about, which makes you money? When your purpose is about like focusing on the cash and the revenue or whatever else you can get yourself in trouble and i suppose i just wanted to highlight an example which is in the discounting game which unfortunately is where you know ready-made meals if you don't know your foods is in 3,000 stockers stockists around australia uh, we have um, a really large online business servicing all of australia with next day delivery where you can get food that's basically cooked today delivered tomorrow um, with you know in fresh ready-made meals across 40 different 45 different sort of um, menu items now in that game, everyone's trying to catch up to where we were from six in the last six or seven years. Coles is doing food. Woolworths is doing this type of food. You know, you've got um, you know a number of different providers that are doing similar kind of things, whether it be Uber Eats or whatever, which gets you food quickly in all different types. But everyone's using discounting to kind of get their way there. Um, and ultimately, when I was looking at this, I was like, oh, what, it, what are the stages? And It's like experimental stage. You know, only a year and a half ago, New Foods was like, oh, we'll double in a little discount. Here's a free meal. Or here's a little 10% off, and Oh, went nuts. Everyone's like, oh, that was pretty cool. Year comes around, you think, oh, those sales targets I was trying to hit last year. How am I going to do that? Oh, I don't really have the right product or something. You might have something not quite right. And then you start doing a few more of these experimental discounts. The social stage where you're kind of going, hey, everyone else is going to do it. There's a massive click frenzy sale on this week. Wow, look at the sales on that. Next thing you know, you've got to deal with that because all these customers, of course, are going to take it at a lower price and get the uplift. And it's that instrumental stage. Oh, we need that every week now. Let's do that every week because we need to do that. Oh, that person's churned. Have they gone to a retail store? I'm not sure. Either way, we need the cash to hit that revenue target. So let's do that. Discount, 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 and that compulsive stage. We haven't made it to the compulsive stage, which is good. I reckon we were verging on the three, number three there, instrumental stage. Um, and, and the way to combat that And the the case study that we're really going through right now, and I think all businesses need to go through it, you need to check yourself really hard on this, is what is your purpose? What what do you really care about? What do your customers care about? So we're going back into that as we sort of move into our um, 2020 year strategy. And what we're looking for is that freedom, freedom from the discount shackles for ourselves as a business, but also to take that away from the customer. The customer will actually probably appreciate us a lot more if we can give better quality and actually win on that and do it in in a way where we're giving variety and quality and solutions and a service. And I suppose as a CMO, it's very easy to work with cost savings, discounts, spam, and just get away with it. And you can get away with it for quite a while. Um, but those platforms are really important to us. So how do we work with the platforms available to find that right customer, give them what they want, and also make sure through the entire business, from the food coming from the farm, through the you know getting into the container and getting it to your, to your door, that that we we know what's going on, we can actually improve that service the whole way through. So as a, as you can see, I mean, the, the CMO role, uh, and certainly the role that I've got to play, and the role that I like playing in a, any business, is that balancing act where you kind of shape the business through those kind of things. You help you know the team bring it to life. Like the food doesn't create itself; it comes to us as just broccoli and chicken and and, and things like that. So it's a recipe. And so the team's making it. We're creating imagery and graphics and video and, and amazing things to kind of turn it so that it looks like it's going to be worthwhile eating and going to be fun. And then we do that every week and make sure you're getting that kind of excited as a customer. So it really is a people brand. And I think that's where we're looking at purpose. We always come back to this point. What are we doing to give the customer freedom? What are we going to do to give ourselves some freedom in the way we think, the way we build things? And what we're seeing is it comes back. We're, we've dropped our discount percentage as a total revenue massively and the sales are still going north. Actually, they're better. Because customers are enjoying what we're putting out there a lot more than just 20% off.
1: Excellent. We're all going to be sad when we don't get our U Foods discounts now. Because we know why. I'll see you later
2: tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make it that hard on myself. Come on. Yeah.
1: So I was just thinking, I'm like, yeah, I know people who just wait for U Foods vouchers for the order. And I'm like, sorry, it's over, guys. We're
2: just going to give you better quality now. More often better quality and more often,
1: and less give you the vouchers. you. Want. Um, so going on with that idea that it sounds like your role, Adam, is quite comprehensive. You kind of have a, a finger in a lot of pies. So opening up to the whole group, what do you think people get wrong about the CMO or what doesn't the CMO do besides get blamed for everything?
3: I think quite often uh, they need to be braver, actually. Um, I think what can happen quite often and what I see quite often is that they get very caught up in the politics of what's happening within their company. So the governance? Yeah. And uh, you, know, you can, as, as an agency that's on the outside looking in, and obviously you're, you're engaged, uh, usually by the CMO, to advise and help and, and give advice. Um, and I've seen it time and time again, where there's kind of like the inner desire for that advice and they're asking for these really creative ideas or you know, fantastic strategies and so on and so on. And then when it really comes to it, It's like, actually the company's not quite brave enough to take it on. So sorry to waste your time, which is really what has happened for everybody, not just us, but actually for everybody. Um, And so I think, you know, uh, being brave enough to take on some of those new challenges um, and have faith that uh, maybe there are other experts outside of your own industry, Your own business because sometimes when you're in the business you can't see the wood for the trees and I think that's one of the benefits of agency Um, not all agencies obviously are brilliant (laughs) (laughs) obviously yours is the best but but there are some that are great (laughs) <laughs> such as Red Habes. Um, But, I mean, no, in all honesty, I think the thing is, though, you need to find an agency that will be a really great partner with you that you can trust, because if you can trust them, then you should be able to work together to actually tap into the fact that they are going to look from the outside looking in and help you see the things you can't always see. And, and that's something I see a lot.
1: Kirsty, anything you don't do? No. Besides swanning around?
4: <laughs> No, I think at a st- uh, again at a startup, maybe I would start a drinking game. Um, I this question kind of stumped me. Really, I think um, there is nothing that I don't do um, for our organization, and uh, I think that the the thing that most comes up for me is the question: CMO, what does that do, Um, you know, people are used to the CEO and the CFO and the COO, but... um, They're like, you're just a schmo,
1: (laughs) sounds lazy.
4: It's still quite often, it's so surprising how much
1: marketing does not have a seat at the executive table. So, carrying on with Kirsty, we'll just keep rolling with you. So, you started your journey in brand awareness, you mentioned that before, so can you tell us a bit more about your current mission with your slides? I
4: can, yes. So, um... First exec hire onto the exec team after the co-founders. So, started at the very beginning for us a couple of years ago. Um, and I kicked it off with a rebrand. Um, and that's our Cohort Go brand that you see now. Um, and to set the scene for you, Cohort Go, our tech platform, is um, a platform available for international students um, where they can compare and purchase the, all the essential services they need to um, prepare for their international study experience. Um, so, since then, we've doubled our international student base from 50 to 100,000 students um, and it's time now to pivot our focus without forgetting about our priorities of brand awareness um, and our lead acquisitions for our sales team. Now at the same time, we're expanding our focus onto the customer experience um, and our revenue, or retention revenue growth. Um, so, as well as our 100,000 students, we now have a good few hundred business clients. Um, So, we're moving on to care for them. So, what we started with was um, a customer journey mapping workshop. So, um, after lots of post-it notes, um, whiteboards, brainstorming, open discussion, everybody in the building who touches our customers, um, we ended up here at this journey map um, where we've got the different stages, um, layers of steps, touch points, resources, thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Um, To the next slide, please. So, next stage for us is focusing on those customers in our early usage and our mature usage stages. So, what do we need to build a framework for our customer success team to operate within? So, this is where we get hands on. We are talking about populating get-started tools and a toolkit resources for the in-app support. Um, we're moving on to templates and reports, and these aren't just static templates and reports. With the access that we have to our dev team and our data, we're using automation to populate these reports with meaningful data. We are... Um, they're going to just magically turn up in the inbox of our customer success managers where they can then proactively reach out to their customers um, with this valuable information. So it could be anything, or it will be, anything from um, a success plan full of performance data and uh, recommendations to um, predicting churn based on a customer's activity or inactivity. So the next stage after this is the dashboards where we usually begin and end. So, looking at our customer experience retention growth dashboard, this focuses on the activity of those customers in that retention phase. Um, So, you know, this dashboard is going to be interactive dashboard that will tell a story of these customers. So, are they happy with us? Are they comfortable using the platform? How active are they? How are they performing? You know, we're still seeing transactions coming in. How do they feel about the platform and are they telling their friends and their colleagues about it? So, using Power BI and all of our data sources, um, which is so many, uh, we, and the brain power of our data analyst and our CEO, because everyone's hands on where we are, we are going to come up with something like this.
1: (laughs) Ta-da! But Kirsty, you weren't always a data person, I'm assuming. What has been your journey, or when did you wake up and say, I need to get on top of this?
4: It's the new phase of our business. I, um, you know what I think it was? it was? I think maybe the timing was coincidence, but I had a baby, and then I came back. <laughs> And we had a new plan, and it was (laughs) (laughs) growing our retention base of customers. But seriously, it came with the journey of the business. We've got one to two years' worth of customers to learn from now. Um, So this is the next stage of importance for our business.
3: I think data is incredibly important, and it's something that certainly at Red Havas, we've been um, growing in terms of the way that we use it for our clients over the last five, ten years, but I think over the last five years it's gone exponential, uh, not least of all because of how social media has grown, uh, and also I think the tools that we have available to us now. I mean, I think that's the other thing. I mean, we weren't able to get the data that we can now. Um, It's almost a confusing space in that, you know, how many tools do you use, how much data, and the one thing that we see from agency side actually is that sometimes Uh, the clients are getting confused by the volume of data, and we see our job as agency actually is helping them actually navigate through that and focus on what's important and also be able to analyse that uh, and actually pick out the things that are going to be most valuable for their business, because I I think that's one of the biggest challenges at the moment.
1: It's finding those insights, and I'm sure Adam has something to say about it. No. Oh, come on! Um,
3: (laughs) Yes, look...
2: Data for us, and especially for myself, as I said in my preamble, it was—it's been there the whole time. And you learn that if you don't have that opinion through the data, you can't sort of do things. But in the last little bit, especially for me, with the data we have with Ufood, which is a mound of data around our customers, what they do every week, what products they're buying, the variables around—you know—is it the, the the source that's making them want to buy it? Is it the you know—is it the the time of day that's making them want to buy that? Like the, the variables. You know, I work with Elizabeth in racing. And, and the racing side's even further. So it was a really great training ground actually for a place like You Foods, racing to food. Not quite right, unless we're maybe doing dog food. But
1: From farm to plate, do, that's horrible. Um, but <laughs> but
2: ultimately, um, you know, when you look at the variables that are available to any one, one thing to make someone buy something or check it out or do something different, um, then you realise what you're trying to deal with and that, that stream, that, you know, that massive fire stream of data. So what we're sort of learning at the moment, and what I'm learning personally, is that data is needs to be separated from information. Data is nothing. It's just currency. It's just stuff. Um, it's like money. It doesn't mean anything until you use it. Um, and ultimately, and I'm stealing that from someone else, so it was a great quote from another person I met the other day, but I'm going to own that. Um, so you can use that from me now. But So data means nothing until you use it. And then Make it into information is the next part. And so there's inputs, there's outputs, and there's the process to go about achieving it. And what we learned in our team is that we had people that were the process for data. And then when those people come and go, you lose the access to the data um, or the access to the information. So we're really rebuilding our data strategy with that mindset to say, what are the inputs? What are the things that we need to know? We don't currently know the birth date of our customer because we don't ask that question. We actually don't know if you're a male or female from our website because we don't ask that question. Um, Can we ask and can we add it? Absolutely. How are we going to do that? Obviously it becomes a thing. What does it mean if we actually get it or not? Um, So what are the inputs? What do we need to go and find? What are the processes and the platforms that we're going to be using to go and do that? And then what are the outputs? What are we actually going to do with that data that will make a difference or that information that will make a difference? And getting everyone on the same page for that. So that's the process that we're going through. Um, and it's really exciting actually because it's the future. There's no doubt about it. Um, and the way you go about structuring it to make that data available, to be used for things like voice and voice apps, to make your product visible and available. So you can actually just, hey, you sorry, hey Siri, grab me some new foods on the way home. Or where's the nearest you know, BP that stocks, it, stocks the food. All that stuff is super important. Um, if I was gonna really be spending time anywhere, it's on that piece. And finding good partners, There's some people in the room. I'll shout out to Customology who we're working with at the moment on that. <laughs> um, discount, please. Um, and, <laughs> and, um, yeah, um, and so ultimately, you know, that's a really important thing for any business right now to do it properly.
1: Cool. So I think one of the classic battles you hear about is I guess the CMO versus the IT department and different technology platforms and how that all comes together. What's your advice when you're you're fighting an IT war or dealing with people who might not be so clued in with your mission and purpose as a CMO? Anyone? Uh, well,
3: I'll definitely jump in on this one um, because I actually just recently worked on a project, uh, and obviously, clearly, I won't say the client. Uh, but I worked on a project whereby uh, they, it was a merger of, of the group, um, and one of the biggest issues they had was communication internally, um, and they had so many, you know, problems about how they were all communicating. And one of the things that we did as an agency is we went to go and talk to their IT department and found, in fact, the IT department could fix a lot of the problems, but no one was talking to anyone else. And it was one of those classic things where all the answers were actually there, but no one could see it. Um, So I think what's really interesting is that there's this fear between marketing and IT in in many ways, and they're speaking different languages, but in a funny way, they're actually uh, both have tools that need to communicate. So I think the biggest thing is communicate i mean you must talk to your it department because i think they are you know you've got to help them to understand and they've got to understand your world as well um i don't know maybe you've um had some issues there um, at all no there, i mean no? we
2: we are uh, one i suppose in that essence because that's the way the company was built i mean it really tries and it, it really is a technology sort of style of company first which sells food the classic sort of amazon style of play so we have that ingrained. If you don't have that in the business, you certainly are in trouble, to your point. Um, I think the things that are frustrating is that there's so many new platforms coming through that you can go and use. And ultimately, the tech team, bless them, want to keep keep it all standard and connected and, and not necessarily, to your point, like out of their reach and, and things that are outside of our bubble. So, you know, that's the part that I find that there's tension, where how do we grow the bubble give our data away or do something different with a platform that might, you know, give us some tech debt or give us some hacked code that we learn something. And, yeah, that's probably the the struggle for for me and and how do we get that on the pipeline when there's other things to be done which are probably more important than that, you know what I mean?
1: They might be a little bit risk-adverse is probably the concern.
2: Well it's I suppose, yeah, there's there's risk and then there's youth foods risk and then there's risk again. So <laughs> you foods risk is right out here.
1: You're out in the far distance.
2: So I suppose, yeah, how far do we go out into that into that space? And then yeah, I think you said it before, how much money do you want to spend on things that may or may not work, how brave you wanna be. And I think voice is one of those ones where you're just gonna burn cash for the next couple of years. And take but it, it will right. come back.
3: I think the interesting thing is also the number of companies that we work with or have worked with where we find uh, because they haven't communicated well with their IT department um, we we find we have a lot of problems where there's not a good CRM system mm-hmm. if only they had a good CRM system we could link back to their website if that was working properly and, and you know so often simple things like nobody knows quite who actually even built the website you know it's amazing so um, you know and that makes it very complicated right so so um, I, I really think, you know, there does need to be much more of a connection between those two, two parts of the business.
1: Take them along with you. So we'll go to Yasmin now. So you're very passionate, as you said, about the power and the bravery required to be the great CMO. So who do you work with that's doing it well? Tell us more. <laughs>
3: Yeah, so if we can go to my slide, thanks. Um, so, look, you know, we, we have... I'm very pleased to say we work with lots of fantastic clients and uh, and lots of wonderful CMOs. Um, so, you know, that that's, that's really great for an, for an agency like uh, Red Havas. But, you know, that's not always the case. Uh, but I think, you know, one that really stands out for us here in Brisbane, and we're, here we are in Brisbane, so I think it's a good example to use one that's local, um, is our client, Becco. And um, the CMO there, um, she has a number of challenges because uh, Beko is a global uh, company. And I think this is something that a lot of firms face where uh, you know uh, the, the head office is in London and it's directing everything that you need to do, uh, which is great, except that it might not work in Australia. And, uh, and this is where I've been in this situation many times before where despite the greatest advice, and this goes back to giving the advice and actually having a CMO that's brave enough not only to listen but actually to take that advice back to the people that are, are going to give it the tick and the nod of approval to go ahead. Um, and this is where you know, we have a really good example uh, of a CMO that actually uh, stood up and took our advice, um, and actually we created uh, a whole new version of what was a global campaign, Eat Like a Pro, uh, but put our Australian slant on it. They'd already been in market for five years uh, and hadn't been getting traction, and within 12 months the tables turned uh, quite dramatically. I think the other really great thing that uh, the CMO does with uh, Beko here in Australia is that she doesn't keep us separate from everything else that's going on in the business. So when she had the challenge of trying to explain uh, that she wanted to do something different, instead of trying to tackle it all by herself, she actually took us into the room with the CEO, she introduced us to the rest of the global team. We were able to directly explain what our strategy was and why we wanted to do it that way and what the difference was going to be for the business. And I think one of the things I see time and time again is CMOs, I'm sorry, I'm not hanging you know, things on CMOs. <laughs> um, You're not here to pick fights. <laughs> one of the things I see time and time again is that there's this tendency to take the advice or take the strategy, but go, no, it's okay. I'm going to be the one that's going to take it into the boardroom. Uh, By the time you've explained it three times down the pathway, you may be losing some of the actual essence of the advice or indeed the strategy or uh, the techniques or the detail that you might not otherwise know um, and might not get it across the line. Um, and I think in this case uh, we have been brought in every single step of the way. Uh, now, indeed, we have regular meetings with not only the CEO but also the rest of the global team. And in fact, the work that we've actually rolled out here in Australia is actually now being emulated in other parts of their global business to show that, in fact, actually, if you take an individual approach, you can have a very, very strong effect. So you can see the results on the slide um, clearly there. But we achieved, you know, obviously great changes in terms of percentages, but I think it's about how you work with with the CMO that's really important.
1: That integration. So just a quick warning to the audience that we're going to have questions about 10 minutes. Also a reminder, this is a podcast recording, so please do not swear. Bear that in mind as you plan your questions. So we're going to switch gears again and talk a bit more. I think there's a lot of people in the room here that are aspiring to be great CMOs or to work on one of your fabulous teams, because I'm sure you're all hiring in different ways. So a big part of being a leader is, I guess, recruiting new talent. What are you all looking for in the next generation? What would be your hot tips if they apply for a role in your organisations to stand out? I know Kirsty has some thoughts about this, so please share. Um,
4: Mine are really short and simple. There is so much low-hanging fruit when you are applying for a job. Um, I mean, even (laughs) for a position for us, we may have 75 applicants for the one job. So it's it's the detail it's the passion and it's um showing your personality through your application you know from your application and your portfolio and your linkedin profile i can see that you can do the job but what i don't know is who you are you know what we're looking for is that sweet spot where you're employing someone who you know will be able to finish your sentences that's what we need that's that's the dream so um, what can you do to show that from the beginning what can you bring to the team um, and how can, uh, I guess, your personality um, either be that perfect fit for the team, but at the same time, mix it up, bring something new and different and interesting to that um, that team dynamic and your thought process?
3: Yeah, I think I'd second the passion thing. I think passion's really important. Um, I, I get really disappointed so often um, with young uni students that are looking for a position and they come in bright-eyed for an interview and... And then you ask them, you know, what is, what is the one thing, why you want to work at Red Havas, uh, kind of look like a really interesting idea. And you think, oh, goodness, um, you know, I want to see a little bit more fire in the belly than that. Um, so I think that's really, really important, first of all. Um, Secondly, also, um, I do think um, that, you know, people need to be proactive. Um, You know, again, I see a lot of people that wait for things to come to them. Uh, What inspires me a lot is when I see someone that, you know, you've given them a foot in the door and they put a big boot in the door. And next thing, they're driving a truck through the door. (laughs) That's what I want to see. I want to see people that are really going to take the opportunity by both hands uh, and really drive it as hard as they can. Uh, because people like that are uh, the ones that you want to actually foster, and you're quite prepared for people to make a few mistakes and to help them to learn. But if you haven't got any interest and you're not really going to try, uh, then you know, really, I can put my effort somewhere else. Um, the other thing is, I think also, um, you know, you need to be able to uh, to write. And I know that sounds like a really basic sounds thing. sounds pretty basic, but people but it, are shocking nowadays. It, oh, absolutely, 100%. People just don't know how to write anymore. Um, and, you know, it comes for emails. It comes for whether you're doing a press release, whether you're doing an advert, whether you're putting together data for a report. If you can't write, you have a big problem. So please, focus on your grammar, people. <laughs> and uh, you might get a job at Red Habas.
2: Spoken like a true journalist. Um, LAUGHTER I mean, we're recruiting right now for a brand and marketing manager come analytics person, come unicorn, come sort of... Oh, everyone's writing things down all of a sudden. But, but, you know, know, how do you you get all in one, to your point? And definitely it's this idea of um, not just coming in to take the job, but where can you take the job? Um, That's really what we're looking for because... Uh, you, I didn't answer the question before, but as a CMO, I'd love to spend more time in the creative space, like in that mm. space where you get just to think freely and, and just be a bit more wild. So, you know, and you want people around you that are going to have that conversation and, and not just be asking or waiting for you to give that direction as a CMO. It just doesn't help, especially mm. in that, the level that's just um, sort of alongside and below. And I think ultimately what you're finding now is the organisers are getting flatter and flatter. So you have to be ready to kind of deal with the CEO or some kind of random request directly from a board member or whoever it might be to actually go and um, do it and and just do it because you want to and, and kind of be ready to do that. So those sort of people are really important. And then, yeah, I think the other thing I've, I've been sort of finding interesting now as well, like we do internal recruitment through with UFoods, we got an internal team member who does that job, but ultimately what, what the process I'm going through and I'm looking out there for people is I'm kind of stalking LinkedIn and doing random kind of searches and kind of doing my own analytical version of what's out there. Hmm. So if you don't have your touch point, your brand touch points up to date, you're just going to get bypassed for all these secret roles that just don't even make it to market. Most of us don't have the time to want to go out and put something on Seek or LinkedIn if we don't, if we don't have to. So the network, the things that kind of save me time, like you said, if you're, if you're there right in front, you know, with the bus or with the boot or with the vision... You're going to be well in front because I just don't have the time to go and find someone who's going to have to go through a massive process in this, in this day and age.
1: Kirsty, do you have any pet peeves you want to share? I know you have one. So many pet peeves.
4: Do not address your cover letter to whom it may concern <laughs> because it concerns me. <laughs> <laughs> and I am on LinkedIn. I'm available. Amanda, you just like search, quick search, CMO, call it, go, that's me. <laughs> don't dear sir, madam, don't to whom it may concern, grammar, just quickly, quick proofread. This is what I'm talking about, the low-hanging fruit. There is so much of it. When it comes to your resume, everyone uses that first Canva template, so don't. Use the second one. And, you know, like the um, template background image, at least change that up. Choose a different colour, maybe. And when it comes to interview, um, I had a thought about this one, and really for me, I don't have a lot of pet peeves when it comes to the interview, which is a nice situation to be in. I'm really... um, I I guess I'm really structured with my interviews. I only ever do three interviews. If I can't cut my shortlist down to three, I'll do quick phone screens to do that. Um, And, you know, a 10-minute phone screen, all I'm getting from from you is, does she seem nice? Does he seem nice? Do I like them? Are they picking up what I'm putting down? So, uh, when it comes to that interview, I, I guess if I had to choose one pet peeve, it's short nondescript answers we're we're here for a conversation like I said I already know you can do the role by the time you come in here I've had 75 other applicants and you made it to the top three so let's get to know each other and you we're applying to you as well you want to make sure that you're the right fit for us so get to know us ask questions Um, a short interview is not always a good sign
1: So before we go to questions, the final question is, will the CMO ex- role exist in the next five to ten years? If not, why? And I feel like there's been a lot of media about this, the death of the CMO.
2: It's <laughs> a CG, no, CGO now, right? So is it's it CGO? Chief...
1: Sorry, I'm not on top of the trends, but I guess... I got,
2: I got chief meme officer today, so that's probably not a, not a bad place to go. Oh,
1: okay. Anyone? Where do you think it's headed?
2: I suppose what's interesting about it is that my goal is not to be a CMO myself, you don't like the um, word marketing? Yeah, basically. Mean
1: chief officer of
3: all.
2: Yeah, why not? But it's, it's sort of, at the end of the day, um, it's, marketing is sort of a funny type of word and, and, and it sort of limits the opportunity for the thinking. And I don't like the title necessarily, but I do like the fact that when you, when you move from a marketing manager or a general manager or, or that kind of level to the, to the C, you, is, it, is it important? Egotistically, I suppose it can be. It, it, it shouldn't be. But ultimately, what are you going to do with that to make a difference in the company and actually do something meaningful? So the title, generally, once you get to a point where you've gone through those steps and you've kind of felt good about certain titles and certain things happening to you, whatever, then it's about what you care about doing with the 8 or 10 hours or 24 hours you have each day. And I think, I think you know, so do I care if that role exists? No. Do I care about what I'm, if I'm going to be doing something I actually want to do and make happen and deliver? Yes, basically. And I think, you know, we were just discussing from ages 40 to, 40 to 60, for me, when you've gone through a fairly quick set of steps to get to where you are, you go, what do I want to do next and what do I want to actually meaningfully do? So I think the title hopefully sticks around for people that want it um, and it works and it kind of delivers into the business. But I actually think it's probably limited because ultimately it's a democracy of data and people can do things that chief marketing officer titles just doesn't make a difference. Hmm. So I think, I think it could be extinct.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know with the title. I mean, as you say, it's a title, right? But I think in terms of role and industry, and industry in particular, I think we've got massive future. Um, All I see is uh, things changing incredibly rapidly and actually the role of whether it be marketing, public relations, communications, it's becoming more and more essential to businesses, uh, you know, every single day. Um, You know, I'm actually personally terribly excited about the future of our industry because every time I turn around, there's a new tool, there's a new way that we can actually reach out to audiences, there's another way that we can communicate with our target and people and so on, Um, and there's so much that we don't know that we're even going to get to yet. Uh, When you look at how things have changed just over the last um, 10 years, let alone the last five years, it's been an incredible pace. Um, And I think our future is very, very bright, um, particularly in the public relations communication space, Uh, the way that's actually merging very distinctly with more marketing roles. We start bringing in all of the data, um, it's about, like, the time when we first had cars and we didn't quite know where they were all going to roll to. Uh, but, you know, we got somewhere fast and now we're going faster, right? Um, and I think that's really where we are now. We're, we're in this new car and we're not quite sure where we're heading, but I think it's going to be a really exciting and fast journey.
4: And I think that, um, um, echoing your point and Adam yours as well, I think that... Um, the customers are going to... Already, it's crazy how much we expect and we want We want you as the brand to know, Adam, that I order on a Wednesday and that I need it on the Thursday. And we're just going to want to... Or we're just going to expect more as customers. And I think that the CMO role is um, just going to continue to expand and grow. And potentially, you know, that C-suite gets a little bit um, overcrowded in the future. We've got Chief Experience Officer now and Chief Growth Officer, and that's just going to expand with what our customers need.
2: I love that. Let's give it back to the customer. Let them control it. That will be awesome.
1: Excellent. So we're going to open it up to you, the floor, now, to ask your hard-hitting questions. No, I don't think you will. But anyways, <laughs> this isn't hard talk. Um, who would like to ask a question? And uh, put your hand up. Kurt, up you get and, yes, I know everyone's name. No, I don't. I just happen to know Okay. Who are you? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, my uh, question's for Adam, actually,
2: in and around uh, U Foods, a few things. So, the, the tone of voice in the brand for U Foods differentiates really well from your competitors. Was that something you took the owners on a journey with, or was it the other way around and they gave no. you the freedom to do it? Oh, the owners don't mind a good swear word, which I can't say tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, the founder and owner and CEO still... Um, you know they bring that tone so the energy is, is started from the start and the job my job is to try and make sure it's the voice is appropriate for a 50 or a 60 year old who our customers are growing into that sort of space as well families that are seeing like my daughter you know when we've got things like um uh, you know fork the dishes i think i'm okay to say that on the box um and things like that um you know and she's like that's rude dad i'm like yeah, I know, but it's just... But yeah, so, it might you know, not resonate with that audience. You know what I mean? So, uh, how does it work? So, I think differentiation's good. Are we willing to let some of that go to find some more audience and not be as ballsy or as kind of kind of courageous in some of these things? I think as long as we stay smart in the way we do things, it's okay. When we get a little bit lazy and just use it to kind of cut through. That's why I think tone is very different to purpose. So what we're exploring is Tone's good. We can kind of, we've got the freedom to do what we want to do. Even Northern Territory Tourism, we had Tone to be able to be what we wanted to do there. But ultimately, um, uh, purpose is what's going to drive this business forward more so than Tone.
3: Yeah, I, actually, can I just say something on that? Because I think uh, one of the things that we see quite a lot um, in agency is clients that come to us are having a lot of trouble, uh, particularly whether it be PR, social, but obviously the communications into market and they're wondering why they're getting you know poor response from customers and so on and the tone is actually very important. Your tone of voice, your personality. It's something that we encourage a lot of brands to spend time on, Uh, but it's an area that unfortunately a lot decide to skip. You know, in this world that we've been talking about before where everything's got to move really, really, really fast. And so they just get the content out there, just get it out. Uh, It doesn't matter, just say something. We just need content. Um, and then the damage that you can do if you don't get the tone right is so huge, it, it really can be much more detrimental than, as you know we've been saying before, take time. Take time to have a strategy. Think about what your brand wants to say in market. Don't rush out there just with any conversation. Our teams spend a long time crafting every single tiny piece of social media content that goes out, every single tiny word, because one wrong word, you can have 50,000 comments comments coming from goodness knows where and the damage from that is much greater than if you took the time to really think about it.
1: Good point.
4: Oh, Kirstie? We're working on um, our bravery and courage in um, the space of, or in our tone at the moment, um, actually with the help of the content division. Oh, shameless plug. Um, and you know what we're coming up against is um, that we're really brave and we love our tone and we want to get a little bit more courageous with it and we're happy to do that and um, these guys are really helping us do that in a really interesting way the feedback from the industry is very encouraging the feedback internally sometimes that's where the barrier is they don't have the bravery and the courage that we do to push the envelope that little bit further so that's the work that we still need to do with that for us
3: and that's the interesting thing that goes back to the point we were talking about earlier when I was saying sometimes a challenge for the agency, you know, when we're actually advising, look, you know, we've done the research, we've got the data, we understand your audience, honestly promise us this is the tone you should use. And the CMO may get that, but then as it goes higher up the level, it gets knocked back, and then you end up having to do something that really is not right for your brand. And, and that's where we've seen things really fall down.
1: Excellent. Next question. Ooh, oh, too many hands. I can't start. We'll go in this side of the room this time. The lovely lady at the glasses, who I do not know your name. Thank you. Hi,
5: I'm Priscilla from Gruntbox. Oh, oh, stand up. Right. Yeah. Um, I have two, two questions. So one's sort of internally facing and the other is external. So forgive me, Yaz, this is probably directed at CMOs. So both of you sort of expressed that you have a desire to have more time, to be more creatively involved, more hands-on, you know, on the on the creative process of your roles. Um, thanks to the recent Financial Royal Commission, there's, you know, a huge emphasis on the data that boards get from their CMOs. And that data, you know, should be around particularly governance, risk, culture and customer sentiment. And they want that in a really unbiased way. Um, I guess my question to both of you is around what kind of data points are you feeding up to your board, you know, in a way that's going to satisfy them and, I guess, you know, take that monkey off your back, if you like, to then allow you guys a bit more freedom to kind of get your hands dirty on the day-to-day stuff. I like it.
2: Yeah, you give them data and they want more data and they have more questions, want more data. But it's good. So I think that's a really awesome question because... Ultimately, um, we've mapped the entire journey from start to finish and we know all the different things that make a difference to whether your food's customer is happy or not. The best piece that I still love that our CEO goes looking for and because he started the business and he was the one making the phone calls and he was the one listening to what the customers said about the product, and because we actually are like a restaurant, we actually listen to what they say, we'll put more pepper in for the customers or we'll take something out or we'll try and do more vegetarian mm. or whatever. It has that innate restaurant feel. So we're lucky that we already have a culture that exists. If you don't have that data culture and you don't place it around what the customer journey is, then you're in trouble. But we're surveying new customers every week. We listen to what they say. We have a team that sits down once a month and reviews the strategic questions we want to find out information on. All those data points that aren't just coming through the behaviour of the website or the behaviour of what we're seeing. Um, I get a lot of that out of the the qualitative stuff more than the quantitative stuff because... Mm -hmm. Um, it just lets me kind of find edges or angles or, or a customer who might be doing something really random but they've asked for something really specific and I'm going, oh, maybe there's another like 50,000 of you out there that I haven't done anything with and therefore we can create a system around that. Whereas the behavioural stuff I really love as well, but you need more, more help to kind of work out what it is that's kind of driving that behaviour. Yeah. But I've got to say, we, we live and breathe the information and we can only get better at it. I think I would rate ourselves like a 3 out of 10. Yeah, well, and, we're, and we're actually good. I think we're good, but we're a three out of ten. Um, I'd like, I'd love to be able to get to a, a next level on that.
4: Yeah. Different story over here. Um, <laughs> our board uh, is, um, we're all mates, um, I guess you'd say. So um, you know, uh, board meetings at this stage of our business, which is um, what it's f- why it's fun for us, is you know, they're really casual. It can be um, a coffee with our co-founders and our one non-executive director, um, and so much of the way that our CEO runs um, the communications that we have with our investment team or our investors and that board is um, so honest and candid. So um, a lot of the data that uh, we feed up to that team is, um, it is really authentic and really genuine and we don't sort of like hide the hide the bad bits. Um, Every time we communicate with them, it's an opportunity for their advice and feedback, and there are always questions. Um, Recently, I had a question about um, how we're running our web acquisition funnel for one of our products, um, which is uh, essentially an e-commerce site, Um, so, you know, we can get so much data about that. Um, And I, you know, spent a whole eight hours working on my response, making sure I had all the different data points there and included and smashed it all back and thought, yes, I've really nailed that,
5: and he came back with, cool, thanks. <laughs> Amazing. So, that's more is less, it, or more is more right now for us. Brilliant, thank you. And then the other one was sort of, I guess that's more sort of internally facing to, to help kind of give you guys a bit of freedom. The other question I had, um, Rich Adam, was probably prompted by you and your comments around sound and the future of, of sound and voice search. And as we know, it's probably the biggest trend that's, you know, upon us, you know, certainly in the next 10 years. Um, And, uh, yeah, I I think it'd be really interesting, you know, to potentially um, explore with uh, uFood's um, conversation design and I I think there's, you know, a world for voice UX as well about, you know, what that brand means, you know, in in a voice uh, environment. And, you know, there's potentially a world where, you know, youth foods is a QSR, you know, and, and people kind of order on their way there and, you know, what, what that could mean. Um, I guess it was a, sort of a statement that I find that enormously exciting. And then, you know, if you wanted to explore that, I would love to give you a workshop and, and do a think <laughs> tank on that as well through GrowthOps. All right, oh, so we'll you. wrap
1: it up. Well, not wrap it up. I guess we'll one quick statement about the future of voice. Sorry, the audience looks angry at me. <laughs> they want, they want more questions. But yeah, let's have a quick, quick um, coming, about voice. It's coming, and it's
2: already here. And if you're not on that bandwagon, you'll miss out, just like social media. You Gird your lines. Work it out real quick.
1: Kirsty, do you do anything with voice? Here, 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 here.
3: Yeah, totally. All right, I'll take
1: one more quick, quick. question from over here because people look sad. Okay, the three of you self-nominate one person. Ladies first. But you can always come up to the panellists afterwards because there's lots of sad faces over there. Cool. Up, up, up. Can't see you.
5: Uh, So my question's for all of you. And, Yaz, maybe you can speak on behalf of your clients. But thinking back to maybe the last year, what was, like, your one biggest challenge and just, like, what keeps you up at night as a CMO? Or, yeah, your clients, what keeps them up at night? What's that one thing that's just, like, it's always there?
1: Cool. Anyone want to jump on that?
4: You know, on, honestly, for me, what keeps me up at night and just the last couple of nights um, is my people. For me, for sure. I mean, um, we spoke about this earlier. So much of our role is about the growth of the business and um, the data and how, how we message our, um, our tone and our messaging and uh, all, the, all of those elements. But so much of what I do and 50% of my passion is behind my people. Um, so they're what keep me up at night. Are they going in the right direction? Are they, do they have the opportunities to grow where they need to grow? And am I the right coach for them?
3: Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of one thing. I mean, I don't think there's one thing. It's such a such a busy world that we that we work and live in. And um, I agree. I mean, if I'm going to stress about anything, I'm sort of you know probably worried about yeah my people. My people are my most important uh, part of my business. Um, but I think you know one of the things that we spend a lot of time on uh, from an agency side for our clients is obviously developing you know proposals and strategies and new ideas. And it's that. You know, the the amount of time and effort that goes into those is is mammoth. It's it's gargantuan sometimes. And uh, we're we're dragging on every single creative sort of fibre in our bodies to to really impress. Um, And I I guess from an agency side, you're only as good as your last presentation and you can get the flick any moment. (laughs) Um, So we live and die on being really important to our clients. Um, And that weight, that weight of are they going to call us and say we love it or not um, is probably one of those moments because you feel for the team. You feel mm. so much for the team that has you know, put so much blood, sweat, and tears into it. And quite often the ideas are actually brilliant. Um, and it's when you get that call back from the client that says, oh, we loved it. We loved every single bit of it. It was so clever but we're not going to do it. (laughs) I was going to say, where's the butt? Yeah. And, you know, that's very disappointing then for for everyone in the team because they really care. Um, So I think that's probably, you know, the kind of thing that bothers me most.
2: Yeah, I think I'm searching for that 20 percenter, that magic bullet. I think, as I said before, there's lots of one percenters. We know what they are. They're just a matter of time and people and everyone enjoying what they're doing each day to get to that point of one percenters, that good to great journey. I'm looking for that 20 percenter. I'm looking for the 50 percenter. I'm looking for the 100 percenter. Like, we're in an industry where it can be disrupted, and I want to disrupt ourselves if we, before someone else does it to us. I, I really like the idea of trying to, like, yeah, how do we do the next big thing in food? How do we do it? Like, what's it, what it's, is it fundamentally different, or is it just a, a general long-term growth? So, I think I'm really kind of looking for, as a, as a philosophical kind of what keeps me up at night, is I don't think we're going big enough. I think, you know, how do we break rate that big and, and what's it going to look like? How do I kind of shape that and get the team ready for it? Um, and how do we do it really quickly? So that's what I'm looking for at the moment.
1: Excellent. So to wrap things up tonight, we're going to conclude with our top tips from each panelist. So I think the first... Oh, don't worry about the clicker. I think our first person is... Oh, Adam.
2: yes, a model. I'll do this one. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> it's out of 10. How did you know? <laughs> so,
2: look, I just wanted to give you something which I've used literally all my life. Um, I got given this model by a, a really good facilitator um, a good mentor around just using it for everything um, and so from left to right it just lets you kind of understand and step back and think about what's important and what do you need to kind of pull on to make things work um, i use it for my kids as an example you know you know if they don't brush their teeth what is it that's stopping them is it a system they know how to get to the thing the, the toothbrush is working do they have the skills yes they do know um, the knowledge i've taught them a few times before they've done it before and the environment is pretty conducive. Although maybe because I've actually spent too much time letting them watch TV or iPad and the momentum's a bit wrong, the (laughs) the, the motivation's not good enough. This is a really funny kind of example, but you can bring it right down to this and say, well, hang on, it's motivation. To get you to go up the stairs and do this job for for you and for me, to be a good parent, um, I'm going to, I don't know, tickle you or something, or get you to do something different to change your motivation, to get you out of that environment that you were in. In business, I've used it a lot where, you know, what's the issue here? Is it a motivation issue? You know, in terms of discounts, if we keep on giving people the motivation and incentive for discount, the knowledge and skills about new product or different things or different ways to hack your foods and make it better for you or to make you want to cook it rather than just get a discount, and you know, what's the environment they're in. So, you know, the systems, are we constrained by a system? Is there something that's stopping me that, you know, you physically just can't fix? So, you know, even when we look at, like, a really hardcore, hardcore thing, like someone who might have, you know, been hurt in an accident or was paraplegic or has got something which is... The system is broken. They've literally had the system broken. They can't use their arms and legs anymore. What is it that's going to make that happen? Like, can you use this model to actually drive some different thinking or some bionics or something that's new or innovation, which makes that work? You know what I mean? So it's a really, it's a really deep way to say top tip. <laughs> but for me, like, I want to give you guys something which I think has been really powerful for me in my life. And I think we use it in business. We use it at U Foods as well because um, I lead on this sort of stuff. And ultimately, we can always find out where we are, one, two, 10 out of 10. And what I think, one thing I would say about it is that motivation typically trumps them all. All those things can be beaten by a good motivation, 10 out of 10 of motivation, and not just, oh, yeah, 10 out of 10 motivation. but 10 out of 10, like, you know, <laughs> how do you do it? How do you do it, really? If you want to be truly 10 out of 10, ask yourself that question, are you really 10? Are you five?
3: Are you three? And then go from there.
1: Excellent. Next we have...
3: Well, you can see I've got many fewer words on mine, um, and actually...
1: Do you have a t-shirt that says, like, bravery or be brave on I, it? Because I'm going to make you one. I should get one. one. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, I, I, and I actually did this on purpose for a number of reasons. First of all, I think, you know, it demonstrates the, the power of words. Uh, a few words can say a lot, and I thought about what I put up there very carefully. Um, it says, be brave, Success comes from patiently seeking solutions despite the chaos around you. So, there's many ways you could say that, but there's a lot within that one phrase. Which way you look at it, and particularly off the back of what we've been talking about today, uh, yes, uh, you need to be brave, you need to push through boundaries, but sometimes you need to actually be patient. Not everything is going to happen in two seconds flat. Sometimes take time, sit back, think, listen to the advice that's around you. Yeah, it can be really busy and chaotic, but actually if you take that moment, you'll probably succeed much more uh, quickly than you ever would have imagined. Um, And the other thing was, obviously, you said, you were going to put this on social. So that will fit in the social screen really well.
1: That'll be really nicely framed on Instagram. I can see it now. Um, And for me, it's quite
4: similar. Um, So much of my uh, success in my life or the way I got to where I am, I think, um, came from pushing my limits and just being brave and being courageous none of us have all the answers and most of us are making it up. So, you know... Fake it till you make it. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) That is... I know it it can be contentious, you know, speaking to my husband about this last night and he was like, oh, I don't know, do you want to say that? And then um, jumped onto my Instagram and the first um, lady startup in my feed said, fake it till you make it, girls. And I was... Truth, truth. (laughs) Like, So, you know, just get involved and... Be brave about it push your limits and you are as confident as you choose to feel and um, just act as confident as you need to for that situation and you'll get there in the end excellent well hand it over to Lisa
0: thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode's content if you'd like to spread the word please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe We love seeing how far our Australian podcast has reached around the world. A shout out to our listeners in the States, Germany and London and wherever you may be listening from. You can check out the show notes for more information about this episode and a link to an upcoming Networks event. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter and tune in soon for the next instalment.